Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, genius leaders, it's time for another guest episode. And today, my guest is Patrick Flesner, who is the growth mindset leadership advisor, really experienced board member and investor. He's a TEDx speaker and two times author. The books Fast Scaling, of the, which was the number one bestseller on Amazon when it was launched, and the recent book, The Leadership House, which will be the focus of today's conversation. So I invited Patrick because I really enjoyed reading the book, and I'm explaining why in the episode in our conversation with Patrick. And uh, I highly encourage you to listen to the conversation and then go and grab your copy of The Leadership House. It's a really easy read, entertaining, but at the same time, very educational and serves as a great reference for to come back to whenever you have any leadership problems because there are a lot of concepts put there in in an easy digestible way and i would love you to have that book on your desk to refer to uh, as often as you need to so in this conversation we are covering topics like why leadership is a privilege and not anything else we're talking about the transition from being a founder to being a leader and whether everyone, uh, every founder has to go through that or not, and what that does that transition actually mean. We're talking about what is the main responsibility of leaders, what are they in charge of within the company. And I do agree with Patrick, and it's um, on, on what the focus of the leader should be. And uh, it's uh, warming up my heart to see how an and, uh, experienced board member and investor uh, speaks about that priority of a leader. We also talk about what to do when you have a person who is toxic to the team or the culture of the company, yet has very important expertise for the growth or success of your startup. And uh, Patrick is very clear on what should be happening in those situations. And I hope that you take that advice if you ever get in that situation. We also uh, cover the topic of peer leadership. The one that's often omitted, but it's actually very important in many organizations. And you understand why when we talk about that. And towards the end, I actually ask Patrick whether we need leadership and discuss that topic in general, given how complex it is and so on. So tune in for this conversation. I do hope you'll find a lot of answers to your questions and a lot of ideas that will spark some reflection for you. Maybe you'll bring them to the conversation with your leadership teams or your peers. And of course, as always, let us know, let me and Patrick know on LinkedIn what you thought about the episode, whether you agree with everything or there are some things that you would like to disagree and have a conversation about. We're always happy about that feedback. And uh, I know that some of you come to me and give me feedback and reflections on the podcasts, but the numbers of listenership is much, much, much higher than those feedback conversations. So if you have been listening or if it's the first time you're coming to the show, please let me know how, how it's going for you, which topics you would like to hear more about or which guests you would like me to bring on 
And uh, whatever feedback you can provide, I'm always happy to receive it. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Patrick, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Anna. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, as I said just a minute ago, it, it's my pleasure and I'm really looking forward to discussing your book, The Leadership House Framework, just because it has so many good points weaved into a story that is very unusual for the for the books nowadays, I feel like. there's There are so many startup books that give the how-to. But yeah. it's very educational in, in a textbook style. Yeah. And I was very pleasantly surprised with yours. So can you tell us a bit more about why yours is not the textbook style? How you decided to go for a story? or a Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a journey. So, you know, I've written a first book called Fast Scaling. It's a high growth handbook for founders. And it is written German style straight to the point. So no US book where you say I could write it in 50 pages. Why, why write it in 500? But it's still textbook and it was kind of successful. It was, uh, or has become number one Amazon bestseller. And then I realized that, you know, fast getting is about how to grow a business fast and efficiently. And I wrote that book because many founders fail, at least in my opinion, because they want to grow too fast. And they don't validate the business model in the first place. At some point in time, I realized that also choosing the wrong growth strategy mm-hmm. is actually kind of a leadership failure. If that person was a better leader, surrounded himself or herself with better people, he or she might choose the right growth strategy. And I delve deeper into my experience working with founders Um, Also in a corporate setting with other leaders, managers I've worked with. And the the answer was more or less leadership is so intangible. Nobody knows how to do it. It's piecemeal fashion. Some say you need to trust. Some others say you need to empower. So I thought about it. I thought, you know, is there a framework? And there wasn't a framework out there. And, And I said, okay, what should be in the framework? And I identified eight elements which are reflected in the leadership house. And I started out writing the leadership house. It was called at that time, leading effectively the same way I wrote fast scaling. And there's still this book, leading effectively is finished and is sitting there on my desk. Oh. And um, together with Wiley, my publisher, we might bring it out as a workbook for the leadership house. But when I held leading effectively, effectively in my hands, uh, one of my friends called me and said, you know, Patrick, you told me you were going to write a leadership book, but why do you do this? There are so many books out there. What makes your book so special? Why would it stick what you have to convey? And I was sitting there and saying, thinking about this. And then I thought, you know, what really sticks are usually stories. So I thought about, can I actually translate the leadership house framework or leading effectively into a story? which conveys the framework and at the same time is an exciting story, an easy read where people enjoy reading it and while reading reading it, enjoying the framework and getting the most out of it and kind of creating a sticky a sticky framework in a in a in a nice book. Now I've never written a, a book and never I've never written a, a novel, so I was going around this 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 topic for I guess so eight weeks. Until I grabbed my coffee at three o'clock in the morning, went into the basement and started writing. 
So yeah, I mean, how to write this, you know, a story, how, which characters to use, how should the characters evolve through the, through the story? Um, how will the story develop over time? But it was so much fun and so exciting. And now you've read the book and, and maybe you will share something today, how you liked it. But for me personally, I'm, I'm the author, but whenever I open the book, I say, yes, that's, it's great. You know, I've, I've accomplished this. I like it. And I'm still amazed how creative I can be. Obviously at some point in time, I didn't know that, but now I would say it's probably not the last book I will write. So long answer to your question. Yeah. So much for in the beginning, I, th I think, uh, you were saying to Stoyan that you don't like writing books. And here you are working on your third one, or as we just got to know fourth, actually, the just the, the second <laughs> one is not published yeah. yet. So fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, Leadership House, just for you genius leaders is a, a book that um, is a story, a tale that integrates the whole uh, framework that um, Patrick will be talking about today. And for me, it was like one on one breath. I, I did it in two evenings, but it was because I started quite late in the first evening <laughs> and I didn't want to compromise with my sleep. So I had to force myself to book the, to close the book and put it aside. And then on the second evening, I um, really finished it in, a, in, in one go. And um, I really like how you build the characters, how Felix is doing all the right things he thinks and how we uncover that the right intentions might not always mean the good results for the company and how Sophia is teaching him through that. So I really want to talk about those things that yeah. on the example of Felix, of different elements of the, of the framework, but maybe not to touch all of them, but that's, that's okay because then people will happily grab the book and read it as well, cover yeah. to cover. Uh, but I do want to start with a question about one statement that you do fairly early on in the book, that leadership is a privilege. Yeah. Can you explain that? Oh, I guess I have to give a long answer again. So sorry for <laughs> this. Already. It's a long format show. So <laughs> please go ahead. <laughs> it's a privilege. I would say why some people think you become a leader because of your title or role in an organization. I think it's a privilege because you become a leader if people willing you follow, willing you willingly follow you. Mm. And in order to achieve this, you now people must like your style, your leadership style. You must work on their personal growth. You must shift your focus away from your own personal development to helping others grow. And if you do this, I think these people that you lead and that follow you will like to follow you. And this is the way you become a leader because of the people who follow you. And if you have followers who like to follow you, I think that's a privilege and that confirms that you are right on track. And I think the second aspect to, to this is I've written an article in the Inc. magazine. I'm a regular a contributor to the Inc. magazine as well on truth and leadership with a renowned um, leadership expert from the US where we say truth and leadership means that you as a leader are in a leadership position because that's your purpose. That's what you want to do. You're not in the leadership position because of the salary, because of the public recognition, but just it, you are there because you want to be a leader. You like to be a leader. You are truthful in what you do. And all that you do is about helping others and helping the team achieve the goals. And my definition of leadership 
comes to the conclusion that that kind of leadership is a privilege. I hope you can follow it. Yeah, 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 yeah I do. Uh, and it's interesting reflection about the purpose and uh, like that true leaders love what they do there and how unfortunately co corporate systems and structures have, I would say, forced a lot of people into leadership positions without them willing to do that. Even in the startup world, how we see that the founder sometimes is the person who is not interested in building a culture or leading others. They're interested in the product building. They're interested in the solving the problem. And they don't have the capacity and the skills and the interest to improve those skills to actually lead the, the, the people and how that can turn in a toxic working environment just because yeah. the founder, the ideator has to be the leader. So, there is your your answer poses the question to me uh, should we uh, should we start challenging that and and change the narrative that uh, the founder has to be the one who is running the company or can they be the product uh, owner for example or head of product something like this if that's their passion without forcing them to something that is not serving them or the company and the employees and the product ultimately yeah i think that's you know again the topic of truth and leadership should we change this no but i think as investors as business angels as trusted advisors you name it if we work with founders i think we should make them aware that if they want to be in the driver's seat for the for the whole journey mm -hmm. they need to transition from founder to leader mm -hmm. and they need to work on becoming a leader an effective leader developing leadership skills because at some point in time suddenly they are in charge of hundreds of people if all goes well and then they are not in charge of product not in charge of tech not in charge of marketing whatever they are passionate about they are in charge of people mm -hmm. and if they so two ways if they don't like to be in charge of people i think everybody else around that founder should help that founder leave the leadership position Because there's no truth to the leadership and it's not good for him or her. It's not good for the, for the company. But if that person is willing and passionate about this, this growth, personal growth, business growth and, and remaining in the driver's seat, I think it's all about helping that person um, lead effectively. So it depends on what kind of founder we have. And also in the book, you know, there are two founders and it's always the question. What kind of founder are you? Do you want to be a serial entrepreneur who's always only in there for the first three, four years? Or do you want to, to be in the whole journey in the driver's mm -hmm. seat? I think it depends on, on your personal aspirations. Yeah, I would definitely want to emphasize that there is no right and wrong answer here. It's really about yours and not yours answers, as I often say on this show, mm -hmm. that you need to be honest with yourself. What What is in it for you? What will keep your spark in the eyes? And you... Will, will keep you motivated to develop and, and grow continuously. And if you feel like, okay, you've stayed in the company too long, you know, it's not your zone of genius and you're just hurting everyone around yourself and yourself, then it's maybe good to, to be aware yeah. of that and design the company accordingly. We, we sold, we sold Orderbird, uh, a company, um, we invested in, I think in 2016 last year was a successful exit and, and the founder, Jakob, um, realized that he's not the, the one who, who's capable of leading the company through the growth stage and probably that he is not passionate for this, about this. And he, he get, uh, he, he became the chief strategy officer, the founder in residence, if you will. And someone else took over and, and together they, 
grew the company successfully fast and, and profitably and, and we sold this company successfully. And that is a good example of a pretty self-reflected founder who realized that's not mine and probably he would have become miserable had he continued to be the, the one in the driver's seat. So that was a great decision. But I've also worked with founders where I and maybe my co-investors believe actually they are not good leaders and they should actually um, step down, but they didn't want to. And that was not good for the company, um, not good for the investors, and probably not good for the founder team either. So also what is in, in the book, there's a lot of, of um, real-life examples that I've translated into, into this book and, and also Felix, the protagonist. So I, people I, I work with see some characteristics of people, of founders we work with in Phoenix. Yeah. I, I guess so. I guess that it's all your extensive experience that were was integrated into one character yeah. uh, for the book. So let's talk about the framework yeah. uh, because that is what helps Felix to get from being an unhealthy founder who is hurting the business and not healthy himself because of that to yeah. a person who, who leads a thriving business and feels good in that and, and sustainable personally. So let's talk about the, the framework and maybe we start with the foundation of it. The foundation, it took me a long time to decide what the foundation actually is. I was a little bit thinking about a strong team or trust mm -hmm. because, I mean, you won't achieve something great on your own. You always need people around you, great people, diverse team. So I thought maybe it's it's the team should actually... the basis for effective leadership but then i thought you know what is what makes a strong team um it's probably teamwork or it's very likely that teamwork plays a dominant role and that teamwork is only possible if people trust each other and when i thought about trust i realized if there is an environment of mistrust you can never become an effective leader and you will never build an effective leadership team or the other way around, that team will always fall short of its potential because in trusting environments, you know, people speak up, people challenge one another. Um, they have yeah, open discussions. They know it's not about the person. It's always about the issue. And that, you know, creates really teamwork. People can be vulnerable and people help out. So I ended up realizing that it's not possible to be the most effective leader if there is no trust, if you're not able to build trust in relationships. This is why trust is the, is the basis of the leadership house. And it's, it's, it's of paramount importance. If you want to become an effective leader, you need to build trust, trusting relationships between you and your leadership team. And that's also important among the leadership team, among our team members. So trust is the foundation of the leadership house. I've been reflecting on that trust, um, whether it should be a given or it's something that you deserve or you, you built and, and, um, kind of get to. So from what I hear from you, it's something that has been built, right? It was started zero with the trust. And then we need to go into the strong plus numbers or green numbers to then start functioning as a, and, and build up on that and, and get, bring all those pillars together. So. Is that correct, Patrick, or how, how is that for you? Is it a given or is it built? It's 100% correct. You start at zero. Mm -hmm. There is no trust. When we met first time, Anna, and we would have had to work together, 
there would have been zero trust because we don't just know each other. We didn't know each other. I didn't know you at all. So I would say some people start on a scale from zero to 100. Some people start at five or 10 because there's the benefit of the doubt. I can probably trust that person, but we don't know, right? It's something we can only realize whether that person is trustworthy or not if we spend time together, if we really build relationships with each, with, with each other. Then we learn, you know, what drives, what drives us, what our personal, professional aspirations, how do we tick? We get into challenging situations. We, we see how we react there. You know, are there outbursts or do we stay calm? Are we self-regulated? Um, are we finger pointing or more like, you know, it's not about who's, who's to blame more, but more about solving the problem. And I think the more time we spend together, the better we know whether we can trust each other. So it's, it's about building a relationship. And from that building a relationship to building a trusting relationship. So you start at zero, maybe some start at five or 10, but to get to 100, it takes time and continuous effort. So daily effort, if you, if you want. So in a way, with the, with the framework of the house, with the picture of the house that we have in, in, uh, in your book, in a way, we're working with the foundation continuously while we have all those pillars and building the house itself, because it's an ongoing process. You can't just spend time on building the foundation of trust without bringing the shared goals you know, and building plans and so on and so forth and working on the team uh, effectiveness together or teamwork. So is that the case? Is it that the foundation is... Uh, pro- work on the foundation is ongoing and we do it while we're working on the pillars as well? Yeah, I mean, we don't, uh, in a startup situation, we don't have time to, to create element after element. But I would say there are three overarching sections of effective leadership. And the first is to build a strong team. The second is to set up that team for success. And the third is to ensure execution. And I think you could say there is time where you first spend time on building a strong team. Mm-hmm. Because you need a strong team to, to succeed. Um, maybe there is one person missing or two persons or people missing. Um, and you, you start continue or you start already setting up the team for success, but it's about building first the team. As soon as you have the right team in place, you can set that team up for success by building shared goals and joint plans. And then, you know, if that is in place, if everybody is aligned, you can work on executing it. But you know, I mean, you cannot build a startup and, and start after two years executing your plans. It's certainly something like building a plane while flying. But I think the framework, I've shared that framework. So founders can have a picture or maybe a poster at the wall of, of, of their office. You know, on a daily basis, they see, okay, these are the eight elements and, and I need to become an effective leader if I want to succeed. And I can always look at that framework and understand what do I have to do in terms of building a strong team, setting up the team for success and executing it. One, one friend of mine, he's a private equity investor and he invested in a company who's, um, I don't know how to actually, how to, how to say this in, in English, but you know, like if you have breakfast, you have like this, this, this wooden plate and he, he with a laser, he can do all kinds of forms on, on, the, on these, on these uh, wooden plates. And he said, I will definitely 
create a plate with the leadership house on it mm -hmm. so that, you know, the leaders could, you know, in the morning see the leadership house while having breakfast. I like that idea a lot. Unfortunately, I don't think the market is, is pretty huge for that for kind of product, but I like the idea. And that's, um, I, th I think something that, you know, conveys my, my thinking. It should be something that you have in front of you every day. I see. And uh, in my reflection, the, uh, the foundation of trust is maybe not about building it first. So in a chronological, <coughs> more putting it first or always like whatever we do, whatever business decision we make, does it keep our foundation strong or does it bring some cracks into it? Do we let the waters uh, disturb our foundation or something like this of the house? So this is how I thought about it while uh, reading the, the book. I think if as soon as you have mistrust in the team, you need to act. Mistrust is, is, is just the beginning of a downward spiral. And this is a question I have based on the conversations I, I've been having with different founders when they have some person who is toxic in yeah. the team. But in a startup, it's not like you can just kick someone out uh, because of their expertise. You really need that person, you know, like uh, let's, let's say it's a technical person who is building the product and he's the only one right now. And you... You just can't hire a good developer in the time frame you you have with the the seller that this person is on or so on. And I feel that a lot of founders are staying with those toxic people on their team for way too long, and it's a it costs them much more. So, what is your take, and how can you how would you guide and coach and mentor the founders who are in that situation right. to take a decision? You need to part ways, absolutely, and and so I mean. I think you need, so how to create a strong team. Huh? So you need to have the right people in the, in the right roles and you need to ensure that they work so that they collaborate, that you, there's teamwork. And as a leader, you also need to create a strong and healthy culture where people like to work together. If there is a toxic person and if you don't do anything about it, you create a bad sign as a leader that you accept this kind of behavior that's not important for you. For you, it's more important that people are excellent at, at, at their domain expertise. It's not so important how they behave in the team. That's what you convey, convey as a leader. I think you need to pathways. I must say there's always one step that you need to take before, and that is to talk that to that person. I think it's always fair to talk to that person and see whether you can change this. Uh -huh. But if you talk to that person and that, that person remains toxic, you need to pathways immediately. One of my most clicked articles for the Inc. magazine was one I've written about uh, about Metallica, the heavy metal band. I don't know, you probably know that, and uh, know that band. But the founder, before the first album went out, they said goodbye to their lead guitarist, lead guitar player, who was one of the best guitar players in the world at that time. But That person behaved different than the rest of the group and was kind of toxic, especially when they were drunk. They, they called themselves all alcoholics, but that person was really mean and, and different than the others. And they just fired him. And, you know, that is a strong message. And that person founded um, Megadeth, also a very successful uh, band, but not so successful as Metallica. But I think the message is clear. No, culture is more important than expertise. And I, I strongly second that. It's, it's really about making sure you have the, the team in place, people who want to work together, who help each other, 
who really embrace teamwork and where there are no toxic people in the team. So that's about the teamwork or creating yeah. a great team. So now we started going transition from the foundation into the first pillar. Shall we talk about the next pillars? Yeah, we shouldn't give away too much, but um, sure. Yeah, I mean, the second pillar is certainly the strong team. And, and um, if people want to get an overview of the book, they can also uh, watch or listen to my TED Talk, TED talk yeah. uh, in which I actually also share the, the leadership house framework. So it's really about a strong team. And in, I think in the sense that many people believe it's only about having the right people in the right roles. I think as Jim Collins uh, writes in this book, From Good to Great, but I think that's that's too short. Um, you really need, as I said, people who embrace teamwork. And the question is, how do you create teamwork? And essentially, all other elements of the leadership house framework are also meant to help create teamwork in the team. Um, I always touch base on, on, on this topic of teamwork um, again. Certainly shared values. We talked about culture a little bit, the importance of a healthy culture for the team. Diverse teams where you can tap into the knowledge and experience of uh, people with different backgrounds, whatever background that is, religious, you know, educational background, I think the more the better. And I think in, in this book, I, I write, you know, you are essentially a, a pack of German white males, kind of. Yeah. So it's, it's not at all diverse. So it's also in that book when I talk about that, I talk about diversity. Yeah. And setting up the team for success. How do you actually ensure that people achieve what they want to achieve, that you achieve your goals. And there's certainly this kind of, what's my long-term vision, but you cannot just say, here's my vision, let's go and get there. I think you need to make um, the steps more tangible. And, and there I talk about shared goals and joint plans. What are the main goals that we need to achieve in the short and midterm? And how do we achieve them, the joint plans that we develop? I think the point is here that, and that's also something I, whenever I, read in, uh, on LinkedIn about leadership. Uh, I don't know where who said that, but a uh, leader knows the way and shows the way, which is, in my view, bullshit. As a leader, you don't have to know the way. It's the team that should develop the way, how you achieve or how you turn your vision into reality. That's what the team is for. Mm-hmm. You cannot know everything, but as a team, you can know how to do that. And as a leader, you are not supposed to know the way. You are supposed to guide the team through the jungle so that the team finds the way, I would say. And I don't know whether you've seen that, but it pops up probably daily, maybe weekly, that some kind of leadership expert says, you know, as a leader, we need to know the way. Um, I don't copy that. From your uh, talk about the jungle, like guiding the through the jungle, the uh, visual of, of a compass pops up for me. The visual of? It's more of a compass. Yeah. So yeah. the team is there on the expedition and you are you are making sure that everyone knows where the north star is so that they can find their way so you're pro- continuously guiding them reminding them the end point but you give them the flexibility of the route yeah indeed i mean if listeners they go to my website patrickfesser.com they will also find the frameworks also the leadership house framework but also the leadership scale is there mm-hmm. and if you remember the leadership scale is is giving an answer to the question how how deeply need to be, need I be to need, need I be to be involved on the steps on the of the journey and crafting the vision this is something where you need to be involved it's your vision but the more you get towards execution the less you need to be involved and i think 
that's what you mean by referring to the compass, the North Star, the vision. Uh, that's where you need to be the one who knows. That's where we want to go. So let's find a way how to get there together as a team. Definitely. I like that uh, scale a, a lot because it gives the very practical picture uh, or practically applied picture of how to engage yourself as a leader. And maybe in the beginning of the business, when you're not the full team yet, you don't have all the expertise uh, and so on and so forth, you're more engaged on the things that you should be lighter engaged in. But that's the thing, whenever you get uh, an add to the team, then you can reevaluate, okay, how can I step back on the things that are more operational and be more strategic work on the business, not in the business and so on and so forth. So uh, I appreciate the leadership skill a lot. I want to ask you about the other term that was new to me from the book, which is the leadership debt. <laughs> so let's talk about the debt. Yeah, that's probably also the one article for the Inc. magazine where people reached out to me very, very often uh, from all over the world. Leadership debt is, is kind of a visual. Uh, it's, it's not a story, but it is meant to say, meant to show what happens if you don't work on your leadership skills. So I think we, we said at the very beginning of our conversation, if you want to be the leader in the long run and remain the driver's seat, you are at some point in charge of people. So you need to be a leader. And in my experience, nobody knows how to become a leader. You know, you have a leadership offsite once a year if you are in a corporation, yeah, or Maybe you had one class in, 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 in university, if you are a founder, whatever, but nobody tells you how you actually evolve from being a founder to a leader. And the natural reaction is that you don't work on your leadership skills. You focus on your product, on your, your flat hierarchies in your, in your startup, and you continue doing what, what you've always been doing. Then you raise some funding, you hire people, and suddenly you are there, you have 100 people to to lead and you don't know how and the leadership debt is a kind of debt that you incur every day that you do not work on your leadership skills mm -hmm. every day you incur more debt most people know technical debt you know they code they code they code until they have spaghetti code and and they what they incur is 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 technical technical debt this is where i have the leadership debt um topic from The same happens if you don't work on your leadership skills. If you just continue doing what you've always been doing, you incur more and more debt. And at some point in time, we have incurred too much debt. You cannot repay it anymore. It's not debt that is on the balance sheet, but it's heavy. And then in the book and also the article for the Inc. magazine, I talk about this. There is debt that you can repay. If you start working on your leadership skills, if, if you develop them, you can repay it. And there's some debt that you cannot repay where you've made mistakes that you cannot reverse, like choosing the wrong investor or choosing the wrong co-founder. This is something that you probably cannot reverse. You cannot pay, pay back. Mm -hmm. But this is the, the leadership debt picture, if you will. Can we be clear here? What does it mean on a daily basis to work on your leadership skills and investing in that? Yeah, I mean, you cannot, I mean, you have to do business as well. But I think what I mean is you should be aware every day That if I succeed, this company will be big. And if I, that's the topic again, if I want to be in the leadership role, I need to become a leader. So I cannot only work on product. I cannot only work on the market. I have to work on my leadership capabilities as well. Mm -hmm. You can hire a coach that guides you 
on that journey. That's also something I do, working with founders so on topics so that they continuously develop into a leader. That's what you can do. You can read about leadership, whatever. Do something about it so you, you know you're working on it. We will never, ever be a perfect leader anyway, uh, but we can do something about, about it. And when I pe- hear people um, or founders who say, I don't have time to read books, this is also something, you know, I, I honestly don't like to hear because there's something I, I, I tell my children always is, you know, our own experiences are not our best teacher. The experiences others have made before us are the best teachers. And you are, you're stupid if you don't tap in the knowledge of people who have gone through it before. And reading books is, is one means to, to tap into the knowledge of others. And you can actually save a lot of work and hours if you, if you spend reading, spend hours on reading books. As Jim Quick says, the, he, he works a lot with speed reading, but also learning, continuous learning for people, how to enable your brain um, development continuously throughout the life and so on and so forth. And he says leaders are readers. And this is how he connected with people like, uh, Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey through yeah. books, through connecting by reading the books and uh, having conversations about that and about their learnings from from reading. So yes, this is a definitely a thing that we shouldn't be investing, whether we are in leadership positions or not, just to tap into the knowledge and the collective intelligence that we have around us. You said about the, that your coach founders, Patrick. I would love to know about the the easiest step that leaders that you work with uh, can take that kind of starts to start getting momentum in and getting the habit of doing something for the leadership and development on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I'm the author of the book, yeah, but I've written the book because there is no book out there. You know, there are many good books out there they could read, but you know, there's a book called trust and inspire yeah, by a renowned uh, leadership expert. Agreed. Yeah. But if you read that book, you, you know, it's important to, to, to trust people and to inspire people. That doesn't make you an effective leader. And so there are many books on specific topics. And I could give people maybe 10 books about leadership where I think they're good to read. And some are, are, are good and better for specific situations. One that I like a lot is, for example, uh, turn this ship around that I like a lot because um, it's about accountability. I also write, it's one of the pillars of the leadership house about, you know, creating accountability in the team and ownership in, in the team so that people in the team take ownership, not only of tasks, but also the results. So I met them, there are many books, but I think what the most effective way is if I work with people and guide them through the journey. And I also work with the leadership house framework, but I have frameworks for each pillar underneath all, all these pillars. So that for some founders, trust is not the issue. It's more about how do we actually set up the team for success and then we work on that topic. I think if I have time, I think it's it's always good to go through the leadership house framework elements over time. And at the same time, most founders and leaders have pressing questions. Mm. Uh, so it's a combination of you know have, having a structured approach, helping that the, these founders develop their leadership skills, and you know being open and having this kind of coaching style sessions where they can ask questions and tap into my knowledge. Uh, and I always say, I'm not a coach. I'm currently going through a coaching education. And I can tell you, I'm not a coach because this, you know, always asking open questions, you know, 
it would annoy me definitely if I were on the other side. But coaching is important. And sometimes it's good to not give the answer or give advice, but guide people via asking questions so, so they can, cannot come up with the solutions themselves. But sometimes I think it's better to, to, to give advice and share knowledge and experience. So I always say I'm more your trusted advisor and not a, not a leadership coach. So coaching style I sometimes use, but it's not, it's not mine. This is why I decided not to go through any coaching certification and I'm trying to not call myself a coach. Yeah. Uh, because, um, I, I use a lot of approaches and coaching uh, approach is only one of them when exactly. it feels like a fit for the person in the current situation. One, you talk about the pressuring questions. Do you see the red threads there or is it really depending on the person and the company that the, the face of their company is going through? Are there any common denominators there? So the, the common, the common topic is, uh, Patrick, I, I, I don't know how, what it actually means leadership. So I, I was giving a, a workshop in Tallinn, East, uh, in Estonia just recently. Uh, I think in front of 50 people asked, what is leadership? What is, what makes you a strong leader? No answer at all. People don't know what it actually means. And I understand this. And then for every founder, for every founder team, the topic is different. Just recently, I had um, the founder team. I worked with them where one founder told me, my co-founder becomes a bottleneck. He wants to approve everything. And this has nothing to do with leadership. If you want to approve everything, that's not leadership. That's the, the opposite of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. It's something who micromanages, who cannot lose control, who hates losing control. And one, one chapter in the book is called losing control because I think if you lose control the right way, it, it's fun. It's great. And liberating. That's the word my yeah. uh, clients use when I force them to let go of control. So that is, that is, so the topics are always different. But then there's, there's a second overarching topic, and that's what I call peer leadership. And the new Inc. article has just been released yesterday about peer leadership, because when we talk about leadership, we naturally always think about vertical situations where we are in a, in a role with authority and we have to lead people. But I think it's even more difficult to lead people if you have not the authority to lead. So among co-founders, there's often no, no, one leader who is in the leadership role and can can say we need to do this or that it's more like a peer leadership situation you also find find this in professional service firms like law firms <clears throat> where partners have equal rights and they cannot just say which is never a good idea anyway i'm i'm in the i'm the ceo i'm just telling you what to do but you know peer leadership is a topic that i find in almost every situation I'm involved as an advisor, that this is a topic, how can we actually lead people without having the authority to do, to do so? And that is a topic that's not easy. And there are many similar elements. So it's also about building relationships, trusting relationships. And and, and in the Inc. article, I, I share seven steps, how to lead effectively in a peer situation. But this is also a situation where I always find when I work with founders, even if they trust each other, it's, you know, how, how do I actually do this? How do I influence my co-founders, not by manipulating them, but, you know, influ influencing them in a positive way? How do I lead them into the right direction or the direction I think is the right direction, yeah? which not necessarily has to be the right direction, peer leadership. So that's also, there's vertical leadership and horizontal leadership, probably something that 90% of people who do not work 
on this leadership topic actually don't know. Um, and that makes leadership so difficult, so complex, and so, so hard to develop leadership skills. Do we actually need leadership as the concept if it's so complicated and confusing for people? I mean, of course, I guess, you know, I know the answer because you wrote a book that is leadership yeah. house, <laughs> but just, uh, let, yeah. let's ponder upon that. No, definitely. People want to be led. And my, my own experience, and that is also why I came up with leadership scale is I had to learn a lot. And when I started out and was my first leadership role, I was kind of the micromanager, the kind of guy who told everything, everybody what to do. And I wanted to improve everything just to realize that, that that's not going to work. And then when I um, joined a large corporation, I decided to not be that micromanager no more, anymore. And I was on the other side of the scale. I was not involved at all. I, I thought, you know, people want to do their own business and want to find their own way. But that's also, that was not, also not going to work because people want to be led. Yeah. Um, the question is, how do you lead them effectively? So I think you need leadership skills and you need leaders, but you need leaders who others want to follow. And that is in the peer leadership situation, the same as in a, in a vertical situation. Also, also in peer groups, think about partnerships of law firms. They are always like the one or two who are like kind of influencing, well, kind of powerful. Now they can be powerful because they are playing political games and um, manipulating people and others. The result is always a toxic culture. And the result is that people do not embrace teamwork. They are not honest with each other. That culture trickles down the organization. People leave. They spread the word. They cannot hire new great people. So it's, it's a downward spiral. So, but you can also lead in a peer situation without manipulating or playing political game, political games. And I think also in a peer situation, if you have 20 people, 20 lawyers and equity partners in a, around the table, I'm sure that people long for leaders in that, in that group, but good leaders. We, we naturally tend to look for those and then yeah. magnetize to them. I actually have a, a mentee, uh, a startup, startup owner. She, she has several businesses and now she's going through a new business where they are four co-founders and originally they agreed that they would all be uh, equally engaged. There is no uh, one person who is the CEO. They kind of all got their spheres of influence for uh, within the company. But then it started showing that everyone would look at this mentee of mine, like, okay, what is our goal? What are, how are we going? And so on and so forth. So I actually asked her at some point, like, so I, I think I've missed something. Did you actually decide that you are the CEO of the company? And she's like, no, I didn't have those conversations. <laughs> so just because he, she has those abilities, she is more structured with showing the purpose or connecting the dots between this high level and the next step or things like that. People just naturally put her in that position without even discussing that or maybe yeah. even realizing it themselves. So how do you deal with that? Like, do you cover that in the Inc. magazine uh, article that you refer to in those seven steps? How to deal with those situations when you're put in that, but not officially, you don't officially have any more power or, or responsibility, but at the same time, everyone is looking at, at you for the answers. No, I'm, I'm not covering that situation in the article because for me, that sounds as if she is a good peer leader already. Maybe without so knowing it. Owning that power. Yeah. I mean, um, so if, and, and it seems also that the others want to follow her. 
Yeah? So I think that's leadership, right? And maybe she, she is the one who's not, who doesn't have to be the CEO. Maybe she can lead without that title, without that authority. Although, to be honest, I'm a huge fan of having a CEO in a company. But I think that is a situation where, where peer leadership seems to work. The problem is always that in a peer leadership situation, people come to me and ask, you know, I want to lead them, but I cannot tell them what to do. And then the conversation starts about, you know, do you actually have to tell them what to do? Is this really leadership? Or how can you effectively lead these people without telling them what to do? And what do you have to do in order to be someone among equals who others follow? Mm-hmm. And I think she, she seems to, seems to, uh, to have already achieved that kind of peer leadership role that she is maybe an effective peer leader already, which is nice mm-hmm. and seldom. Definitely. It just comes with extra responsibilities that uh, sometimes need to be discussed within a team as well. Yeah. I mean, that's again, true to leadership, right? Do, do you want to be a peer leader? If, if she doesn't want to be the CEO and the others make her the CEO without giving her the title, it's not about the title, right? It's, a, you know, it's about the responsibility and the accountability. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, we, we're not going to have cover all the uh, pillars and all, all the, um, all, all the eight elements of the uh, house, but anything that you would like to emphasize in the, in the last part of the discussion, Patrick? It's important that people, especially young founders, are aware that if they succeed in building their companies, they will have to be in charge of people. So the leadership debt topic is probably one people should take away. Don't incur too much leadership debt. Work on your leadership skills. Get help if you don't know how. Start reading books about leadership. I think that will help you succeed because I think it's leadership is is decisive in terms of whether you achieve your goals or not. If you are a poor leader, your idea can be the best, but you will fail anyway. I think it's really about making good decisions. And maybe that's also something I always like to convey. I'm not a believer in that there are good and bad decisions. The outcome outcome of all decisions always have to do with luck, but you can what you can do is, you know, you can create a strong team and efficient decision-making processes. And then you can say, we've, we've done our best. We've gone through a great decision-making process orchestrated by a strong leader. And if we fail anyway, it's not because of the decision, maybe because of luck or miss, missing luck. Um, I think that's important. So for me, it all boils down more or less to leadership. I want to ask you about the thing from one of the chapters about the midwife technique or or i'll yeah. pose the question as what's the <laughs> common thing between ceos or founders and midwives i think the midwife technique so it's um that's i think one one part in the book where i was uh, most creative at all it's uh, socrates midwife technique you know it's 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 about what socrates socrates did was he asked questions can you still hear me anna the, i think it's yes, it's stuck yeah. a little bit what Socrates did was not to tell everybody what to do. Who he, he he said, I didn't have the knowledge, but I could get the knowledge out of people by asking the right questions. This is what he calls the midwife technique. So he helped the people get to the right answers. And that is can be compared with coaching, right? So that's a coaching technique. You know, you you ask questions, open-ended open-ended questions, and by asking the right questions. You lead people to, to the answers. 
But as we said before, I think as a CEO, you cannot only use the midwife, midwife technique. Sometimes you also have to give advice or you have to, to tell people what to do. So it's the style you choose always depends on, on, on the situation, the people in front of you. But it's really interesting. And there's also the leadership drama triangle that you don't want to be a rescuer. You don't want to be a victim and you, you don't want to be the villain. You need to find the right means to lead people for the right situation and for the right people in front of you. Yeah, the triangle is a very difficult concept for me to <laughs> to get people out, to help people step out of. I mean, so there are always these victims. You know, it's not my fault. It's um, I, I couldn't do anything about it. And that has nothing to do with ownership. I think as a leader, you need to take ownership of of the results your team achieves. So don't be in the victim role. Then you've got the villain who's always finger pointing and blaming others. Yeah, it's not my fault, but the COO's fault or the CTO's fault or the external circumstances were bad. So blaming, blaming others, finger pointing. That's not leadership. That's not taking ownership. And then there's the rescuer. So leadership, you want to lead. And that's what I said at the very beginning. It's about servant leadership, about helping others grow. And you don't help your people grow by having all the answers and telling what to do and knowing the way. Um, then you are the rescuer and you leave your people in the victim role. It's about, you know, stepping outside the drama triangle and, you know, finding means so that people don't become or remain victims. And that, that's where the midwife technique also takes place. Patrick, I really appreciate that you wrote this book and that you're sharing with my audience here about the uh, the learnings of yours and the observations that you have had from all the years of your experience working with startups. So thank you so much for the Leadership House book and for continuously developing the topic and bringing it to your content to Inc. and to LinkedIn. And dear Genius Leaders, if you are interested in this, I really highly recommend the Leadership House. As I said, it was a very Easy read, but very insightful at the same time and provoking a lot of reflection, uh, time and uh, different insights that uh, can come to you. And you can also always refer to those frameworks again and again. So really highly recommend that. Patrick, thank you so much for the conversation. And I hope you have the rest of your summer and beginning of the autumn uh, in a very productive and positive note. Thanks, Anna, for having invited me. And to all listeners, um, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Contact me on my on my website, patrickflessner.com. Um, always too happy to hear. And if you like the book, please please share it or also give feedback. I'm highly appreciated. And again, thanks, Anna. And thanks to Stoyan, through whom we uh, connect yeah. with each other, actually. Stoyan Yankov is a, a fantastic host and uh, connector of people. So uh, shout out to Stoyan, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, for bringing people like Patrick and I together. And to you, Genius Leaders, I just want to remind you, as always, that I see you, I feel you, I love you, and I do believe that you can be the best version of the leader that... Um, that is without, within you. And I do show, think that the house, leadership house framework that Patrick has created can be a huge help for that. So enjoy your rest of the week and talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. 
For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.